Um, week five of Nope, this is our break free Sunday. How many of you know that we are in a spiritual battle? We're in a war. Um, the evidences are all around us, right? I mean, when you look at things from divorce rate to addiction and, and, and all of that stuff, the motto in our world today is do what is right in your eyes. If it feels good to you, if it's right to you, then you go do that. Um, and the fact is, that's not new. This battle has been raging throughout human history. Jesus defined these battle lines, and we defined them early on in this series in John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to do what? It's on your screen. To steal, to kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life, and you may have it to the full. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life. Now, it seems like here lately, unfortunately, and for many, many years, the devil's really good at his job. Okay? But the good news is we don't have to live under the weight and under the bondage of the things that he does in our life. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, it says this, finally be strong. In who? In the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you may take a stand against the devil's schemes. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his power. Here's the problem. A lot of times we go out there into the world and our, our intent is to be strong, but it's in us. It's in our strength and it's in our power and it's in what we think we need to do and we're not seeking the face of Almighty God. He says, put on the full armor of God that we may stand against the schemes, the tricks of the enemy. The enemy has schemes, the Lord has power. We didn't come here today. We sang about it this morning. We didn't come here today just to hear music and hear preaching and see our friends and go home and it's just another Sunday like it's always been or even see a cool video about daylight savings time coming. I know y'all thought that we were about to watch a movie, but we weren't. Uh, the time's just changing, so get ready for that. But we've come here for victory. We've come here so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the enemy because there's a world watching. And there is a real enemy of our soul and, and God has given us everything we need. When we commit our lives to Jesus, Satan has no authority in our life anymore. The only authority he has is that which we give him. How many of you have heard the old saying that you can't keep a bird from landing on top of your head, but you can keep him from building a nest there, all right? And far too often, we let the bird land there, and I've never seen this happen actually in my life, but it would be interesting to see. We let the bird land there, but we also let him begin to build the nest, I want us to look again really briefly at the schemes of the enemy and then we're going to get into the weapons that God has given us. In 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So what are the schemes of the enemy? They are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, 
and the pride of life. Now, we've talked about those over the course of our series that we've been in in the last several weeks. We've looked at the lusts of the flesh, pleasure. When we allow pleasure, now pleasure, remember we talked about this, in and of itself is not a bad thing, right? When we build in healthy things that we enjoy, you work hard and, and we enjoy the, the things that God pours into our life. There's a healthy uh, measure of things that are fun for us to do. But when it becomes unhealthy is when it becomes the focus of our life or we get into things that are deep and dark and, and we don't need to be involved in those. Then it, we see the lust of the eyes and that is the possessions of, of our life. When, when getting stuff and having things becomes the main thing in our life. And how many of you know uh, when you start building your life around material things, how much more do you need when you start doing that and that becomes the focus of your life? A little bit more, right? There's always a little bit more that you need to get into your life. And then um, the pride of life. There's nothing wrong with healthy pride, but when position becomes the main thing and it's paramount and that's, that's what we live for and, and, and we want people to, to recognize and notice us and it's about me, 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 that can become problematic. We went to a restaurant last night in Wilson uh, to have uh, some, some food and, and we were waiting and we had been in the restaurant for about an hour and as we were waiting in the restaurant, uh, there was a, or maybe 40 minutes, as we were waiting in the restaurant, there was a person that came up behind us and said, we've been here for an hour. <laughs> and we're hungry. And I mean, there's a gazillion people in this restaurant waiting to eat. And I wanted to turn around with my brother and say, well, we've been here for 45 minutes, so you're just a little bit ahead of us. Slow your roll, you know? But I didn't do that because I remembered I'm preaching tomorrow at the bridge in Colesboro. <laughs> but, but we kind of get self-centered and things tend to become about us. And when they do that, that's when the enemy and his ploys can throw us off kilter. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for becoming like God, knowing good and evil, she took some and ate it, fell into the same trap. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. She saw that it was good for food. Man, that's going to bring me pleasure. It was pleasing to the eye. I want to get more. I want to have that because it looks good. And then she said, you know what? It's going to help me become like God, knowing good and evil. And she went after that. And Adam went after that. We fast forward several thousand years later. Jesus, before he enters into his public ministry, goes into the wilderness. Is led, the Bible says, into the wilderness by the Spirit of God for 40 days and 40 nights. And what happens to him there? He is tempted by the enemy. It's in Matthew chapter 4. We're not going to read all of that. But uh, the, the temptation when he's hungry will turn this stone to bread and gratify yourself. Um, he shows in the city of Jerusalem and says all of this can be yours to possess. Or, or, or jump off of this wall. The angels will catch you. You're a big deal. You're important. You are Messiah. And Jesus says in Matthew 4.10... Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Jesus made a choice. God or the world? He used the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit was available to him that is available to you and I. He modeled this for us. Satan has been putting people in a position to choose for, since he fell, since he was cast out of heaven. The good news is he is not very creative. He is very predictable. Here's the bad news. He doesn't have to be because we keep falling for it. He doesn't have to be real creative. There's really three main things he does, and it's in this passage we just read. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Everything else is just subcategories of that. That's what he uses. And we fall over and over and over again. 2 Corinthians 10, look at this. I know I've given you a lot of scripture, and we're going to land on one passage in just a second. But the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine, or they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretentious, or pretension rather, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If you have your Bibles with you, underline or circle that word strongholds. What is a stronghold? Any fortified area helping me hold on to sin. Now we've been talking about this wall for five weeks. When we allow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life to rule and reign in our life, we build a wall. And what this wall does is it separates us between our relationship with God. It separates us from relationships with other people. We become walled off, and one of the enemies, and hear me now, one of the enemy's biggest tools that he uses is isolation. If this wall can be built up, and it can keep you um, from other people and keep you from the relationship with God that he wants you to have, he's got you. Nobody can have an affair if they have accountability and strong accountability in their life. Nobody can mess up and, and, and nobody does. Nobody wakes up one day and says, today I'm, I want to be a drug addict. Today I want to step out of, uh, outside of my marriage. Today I, I want to hurt people in my life as, as badly as I possibly can. Nobody wakes up one day and does that. What happens is a wall begins to get built. Strongholds begin to come into our life. The enemy gets a grip and then what he does is that thing is used to isolate the sin that is in our life to keep us from dealing with it. And what does sin do? What does sin lead us to? Death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what was introduced into our existence? It wasn't there before then. But when they sinned, death was introduced into our lives. So where do strongholds come from? When you believe and act on Satan's lies, strongholds form. Walls are built. But it doesn't have to be that way. We have the ability, we have the opportunity through Jesus to not give him that kind of authority. There is life on this side of that wall because this is where I'm able to be plugged into my relationship with God. Death exists on the other side. So what do we choose? What do we allow God to do in our life? And it could be the death of a relationship, the death of friendships, or maybe even keep us from ever entering into a relationship with Jesus, which leads to eternal separation from God. 
Here's the good news. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I have overcame and sat down with my father on his. Anyone here in this room who wants to overcome something, who wants to overcome a stronghold, can do it through Christ. Do you want a satisfying, fulfilling life? Do you want to, to live that abundant life that God is giving you now? It's not all about seeking that abundant life because that's a misnomer in the world we live in too. I'm gonna come to Jesus and it's all gonna be butterflies and lollipops and I'm gonna sit on a cloud and you know it's never gonna have a problem. That ain't the world we live in, is it? And when we walk with Jesus and, and as Jesus walks with us, one of the things we come to understand as well is there's still stuff that happens in our life. We still have trouble. We still face trials. But what the, the difference in it is we have, um, we have the access to power and authority and peace and the presence of Almighty God to help us walk through those difficult times in our life. Now, God wants us to be overcomers, but the only way we can be an overcomer is to be honest about our obstacles. We have to be honest about our obstacles. We have to be, we have to be real about what, what God wants to do in our life. So if you're ready to be honest, and you're ready to, to, to recognize we're in a war and, and we have an enemy of our soul, but God has given us everything we need to overcome. If you're ready for that, then let's go. There are three weapons in the arsenal and I want us to look at those right now. I want you to picture in your mind <clears throat> millions of saints gathered around the throne. Jesus is at the center and he's speaking. And he says in Revelation 12, I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. <clears throat> it has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, and who is that? Satan has been thrown down. They, who is they? Us have defeated him. How have we defeated him? By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. How have we overcome the attacks of the enemy? How have we overcome him uh, affecting our life in that devastating way? This is the crux of the message, guys. There are three weapons that we use to overcome him. We have overcome, first weapon, by the blood of the lamb. By the blood of the lamb. Revelation 12, a They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb. This is not a popular expression. Blood is violent. Again, as I told you before, we'd rather talk about peace and love and all that stuff. And, and, and we're in the middle of a series on Wednesday nights in the book of Jonah. How many of you have read the story of Jonah? How many of you believe God loved Jonah? Yeah, loved him. How many of you believe he believed in Jonah and what he could do? He believed, he, he was a prophet and he said, hey, I'm gonna send this guy to Nineveh. Well, there was a problem, wasn't there? Jonah didn't think the people of Nineveh needed the grace and mercy of God. He didn't like them. What happened? He ran away from God, right? What did God do? He threw a storm into Jonah's life. 
He was tossed over the side of a boat into a raging sea. He was swallowed by a fish and he was fish vomit three days later. He spit him up on the shore of, uh, uh, of the sea there and, and he was told after that, now it's time to go to Nineveh. Now God loved him. God, God was passionate about Jonah and he was passionate about the call on Jonah's life. But he wasn't going to put up with stuff and he did love him and he wanted his best for him. But sometimes it takes drastic measures to get our attention, doesn't it? Doesn't, love doesn't always feel like love, does it? Amen? Somebody tell me that. My mama's sitting here today. She loves me more than anybody in the world. But uh, sometimes when she loved me when I was a little boy, it didn't feel like love. All right? But she loved me. And that's why she did the things that she did. So we're in a war. And the war is bloody. But the good news is that Jesus was willing to shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to. The Bible teaches us this, that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin. In the Old Testament, you saw sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Jesus came on the scene. Why did it end with him? Because he was the perfect sacrifice. He was the spotless lamb that came to take away the sin of the world. And he died on a cross for you and me. The blood of Jesus has incredible power. Here, here are a couple of things that the blood of Jesus allow us to do. We, we've talked about the forgiveness of sin, but the blood of Jesus also enables us to relate intimately with God. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews that we can go boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Because our great high priest Jesus, when he died on the cross, the curtain was rent. And this most holy place that only the high priest could go into. And he had to have, the priest had to have a rope tied around his ankle and there were bells on that thing. Because if he went in there and he wasn't right, he dropped dead. And then somebody had to be able to pull him out. And they couldn't go in and pull him out. Because if they went in there, what happened? They'd die too. But when Jesus died, this perfect sacrifice, the spotless lamb, it says he made it possible for us to boldly approach the throne of grace ourselves, and say, God, this is what I need. This is what is going on in my life. Lord, I approach you. And, and, and it says we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But he was tempted in every way just as we were, yet he did not sin. That is who Jesus is. And that is what the blood does in our life. It gives us the ability to have, if we enter into a relationship with him, a personal, intimate, dynamic, life-changing relationship with the God of the universe. The second thing it does is it empowers me to put Satan in his place. He, he does not have to be this thing that scares me to death. But in Christ I am more than a conqueror in him. I can resist the devil, the Bible says, and he will flee. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, and that is the devil. Ephesians 1 verse 19 says, Pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power. For us who believe him, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from 
the dead. The same power that raised him from the dead is available to you and I. So the first weapon we see in Revelation 12 is the blood of the lamb. What's the second? The word of their testimony. Our testimony. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Uh, Revelation 12, 11b. What we believe becomes our testimony because it's what we live. What we believe becomes our testimony because what we believe is what we live. You ever looked at a toothpaste tube and wondered what's inside of it? Anybody ever been messed up and they didn't put toothpaste in it? Well, I, I never have. But really, honestly, I know there's Crest or Colgate or whatever it might be, Aquafresh, whatever it might be. But you really don't know what's in that tube of toothpaste until you put some pressure on it and squeeze it, do you? When our youngest son was about a year, year and a half old, Hunter got to running around on a Sunday afternoon. And he ran through the den. And he looked at us and he smiled. And he ran back through the den and he looked at us and he smiled. And then we heard nothing. And if you've ever had small children in your home, when you hear nothing for 15 minutes or longer with a small child around the house, something's on fire, something's being broken, or whatever. I don't know what, what other things could be happening. We knew something was wrong because it was dead quiet. And we said, okay, we got to get up and find out what, what the deal is here. So we walk into the bathroom and when we walked into the bathroom, our son had gotten a hold of a tube that was in the diaper bag of desitin. You know what desitin, if you had babies, desitin is a godsend, okay? It is a wonderful thing. It is the little diaper rash cream that you use. But it is thick and it is pasty and it is like Georgia red clay. And it, it, it gets everywhere and it's hard to get out. And he had it all over his face. He had it in his hair. He had it on his shoulders because he felt like, hey, this feels so good on my bottom. It's got to feel good everywhere else, right? So, so we walked in and there were only two times in his life that he ever did this. And one I won't mention today because I've already told y'all bathroom jokes last week and my mom's here, so I can't do that today. And, um, and then this time, but we walked into the bathroom and he looks up at me and he says, Hey, Dad, it's okay. It's okay, man. I got desitin everywhere. It's on my clothes, so what, is, what it's on is ruined, but it's okay. It's okay. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't say, what desitin? I don't know what it, because you know the only thing worse than acknowledging your sin uh, is, is acting like you've not done anything wrong. When we, when, we, when we do something we know we shouldn't do, when we live in a way that we know we shouldn't live, and we act like, well, that's no big deal. There's no problem there. That is a major issue in our life. But for each and every one of us, guys, what is in us? The Bible says in Luke 6, 45, the man, the good man, rather, brings good things out of the good stored up. Where? In his heart. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. What's in us is going to come out when the pressure 
is on. And I tell people this all the time. It isn't a matter of if things are going to get hard in your life, if you're going to have difficulty in your life from time to time. The, the, the thing that we have to come to grips with and we have to understand, those things are going to happen. But how I react and how I respond to those things, that's what's most important. So we apply the blood of the Lamb. And then it's the word of our testimony. It's confession. 1 John 1, 9, well, 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. No, I don't have, I'm good. I don't need anything. I don't need God. I don't need any of this stuff in my life because everything is good. And the Bible says we deceive ourselves when we live our lives that way. And the truth is not in us. Confession, the word confess in this verse comes from the Greek word homologia. It means to say the same thing. When I speak truth, I partner with the truth. When I share the truth, I partner with the truth. Now, who is the truth? Jesus. He is the truth. So when I'm speaking it, when I'm walking in it, I'm partnering with him. And God is bringing life and hope and help into my life. When what you say about yourself and God and life matches what you believe God's power is released in your life when I say and live what I believe I walk in authority and I walk in power and I don't have to cower and I don't have to shy away and I don't have to worry about being beaten down when a man Tuesday night who went to our Celebrate Recovery meeting and um, he shared his testimony. Had his family there and for 15, 20 minutes he went through this story of how he had hidden sin from his wife and his family for most of his adult life. He had a secret he was keeping. Everything on the outside looked great. But on the inside, he was a wreck. He had this hidden thing in his life. And he, he laid it out before his wife and, and the people in his life that he cared about. He went to his church and his pastor. He sought forgiveness. He confessed that thing before God. And it took him about a year. But then he stood Tuesday night in front of a crowd, not quite this big, but he laid out everything that had happened in his life. Not to glorify the sin, but to glorify the God who delivered him from that sin. And when he laid it all out before him, you know what he did in that moment? And I texted him and told him, I said, man, I am so incredibly proud of this step that you've taken. Because what he did was any power 
Any authority that that thing might have had in his life, he took it away by shining the light on it. And he said, this thing doesn't control me anymore. I've surrendered it to Jesus. I've been willing, and this is the third weapon. I've been willing to lose my life so that I can have life in Christ. I don't want to live for self anymore. The third weapon that we have is our desire to truly live. And when we truly live, we can hold on to pleasure and possession and position like this. Because I came into this world with none of those things. I'm going to leave this world with none of those things. The only thing that's going to matter at the end of this journey is where my heart is with the God who created me. What are we doing with what he's given us? Jesus gave us his life so that we could know forgiveness of sin. And we found today that he stands at the door of our heart in Revelation 3.20 and he knocks on that door and he's waiting for us to open that door to him. And you say, preacher, I hear you. And I understand. And you know, I've, I've been wrestling with this thing in my life for years and years and years. I've got that stronghold. I've got this wall built up behind me. And I just, I don't know. I don't know if I can get rid of it. I know I don't need it in my life, but I'm familiar with it. I'm used to it being there. And I don't know if, if it were gone, if, if my existence would really be the same. So I'm not sure that that's what I need to do. And God is saying to us that there is freedom and there is hope and there is forgiveness and there is liberty on the other side of this wall. But we've been standing behind it. Acting like it can't be broke down. Psalm 32.3 says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped is in the heat of the summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. But I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. I did not run anymore. Because keeping silent was like my bones wasting away all day long my energy being sapped like the heat of the summer sun I don't want to live my life that way and I don't want you living your life that way and today we have the opportunity to know victory to know victory in our families 
to no victory in our marriages, to no victory in our children's lives, to no victory in our workplace, to walk in victory. But for many of us, the key is breaking free. How do we do it? How do we break free? How do we get away from this wall that has been built up and kept us from the relationships that are most important in our life? By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and by not loving our life so much that we weren't willing to give it up so that we could know freedom. How do we break this? We can't. It's only in Christ. It's only in His strength and by His power, by confession, that we're able to break this wall down, to tear it all down, to allow God to do a work. And I know this is just an object lesson here. It's just cardboard. But for many of you in your life, there is a wall that has been built up. And it is keeping you from a relationship with Jesus, knowing the fullness of that relationship. And not just with Him, but knowing the fullness of relationships with the people in your life. They can't get through to you. And just like we knocked that wall down here today, You have the opportunity in the spiritual realm to knock that wall down in your life by simply trusting Him. I want us to do this just as a a sign of commitment to one another and, and solidarity as believers in Christ. If you're able, if you're not, please stay where you are. And I know we can't completely fill this altar, but I would love for us to take a step of faith today and say, Lord, we're going to break free. We're going to see not only as individuals, but as a church family, we're going to believe that people are going to have victory today. We want to see a victory today. People breaking free from the bondage of sin in their life. That man's sin was a pornography addiction for years and years and years. And he is free. And it has no power and no authority over him. His wife sat in a room and listened to that testimony. And tears flowed down both of their faces. Because God did something bigger than both of them and set them free. Would you stand with me? Would you come as we pray in the altar today and close our time out together? And I'm just going to pray as you come, guys. God, we take this step out into this altar by faith. We step out corporately acknowledging that we stand with one another, believing, God, that you're going to do this mighty work in our midst. And we step out individually, acknowledging, Lord, that we want to trust you on a level like we've never trusted you before. Acknowledging that today is an opportunity You've given us this moment in time 
to deal with some things in our heart and in our life, potentially that have been there for years. But you want to see us walk in victory. That's just not, that's not just conjecture. That's not something that I'm just making up because I want to make an emotional plea. That is what your word teaches us. How do we overcome? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. And because we did not love our own life more than we loved you, God. Put it simply, we surrender all to you. Help us, God, to walk this thing out. Help us, Lord, to trust you enough to lay that thing at your feet, to boldly approach the throne of grace and say, God, this battle is not mine, it is yours. And I'm going to trust you with my life and with my heart. And I am repenting of my sin. I am turning from that sin and I am walking to you. I'm trusting you because your word teaches us that the wages of sin is death. That every one of us have sinned. And the wages of that sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if we will confess our sin, you are faithful. And you are just. And you will forgive us no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, we can find forgiveness in you, Lord. So God, we receive that today, right here, right now. We thank you, God, for the work that you've accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray.